Welcome to episode two of Equanimity. A lot of times the battle in staying equanimous stems from having internal conflicts, questioning things like, are we living a life that society brands as being successful or one that our parents are proud of us living? There are other questions too that lead to comparison, like what should I be doing at a certain age or juncture in my life, especially compared to my peers? We create and endorse these templates as a society of what life should look like, but it's almost like we're gearing ourselves up for failure because what happens when the life you pictured living in your head isn't the one you need to be living? On this episode, we explore the concept of identity and more importantly, what it means to create your own path and be true to who you are. I really thought at that point that, you know what, like, I just have to take this to my grave. That It's just impossible for me to be with a woman long term. Impossible. Why? So I, I, it was just a block in my mind at that time. That was Bhavna, our guest today. She's a practicing therapist in Hong Kong who spends a lot of time working with people on their own journeys of mental health. But our conversation goes personal for her. She talks about forging her identity, in particular sexual identity, and being brave enough to not only change trajectories, but to break the narratives that were holding her back. Bhavna, welcome to Equanimity. Hello, hello. Thank you. It's great to be here. Really, really exciting to do this. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm excited for this conversation. Well, let's let's backtrack to actually how we know each other, yeah. um, which is we've known each other for a really long time. Like I have vivid memories of flying to JFK, to which then transiting to DC, and you having that exact same flight route because we yeah. both went to Georgetown together. Totally. And when I think about who we both were as individuals, or at least what I perceive who you were to be, especially also who I was, mm. it's radically different to who I think we both are yeah. more than 10 years later. And that to me is a really good starting point for today's conversation around identity and mm. forging identity. What does that kind of mean to you? Yeah. So identity, when I think of identity, I think of like it's multifaceted, like we have multiple identi- identities, you know, so um, you've got your you know, a gender identity, sexual identity, racial identity, ethnicity, you know, professional identity, the list goes on. Um, and yeah, I was thinking about this concept of like foraging identity and thinking that when I think of most of my identities, it feels like they were kind of given to me um, by way of birth or whatever it is. You know, identity is one thing, but then also once you figure out what your identities are, for me, the more interesting part of my journey, I think, has been how do I live out that identity? You know, how does that come to come to be and come to come to manifest in my life? In that, though, mm. is it figuring out your identity or coming to terms with your identity? For me, when it comes to like one one specific facet I would talk about would be sexual identity. For me, that was a process of figuring out and then coming to terms with because um, I identify as bisexual and like even to identify as bisexual, I think it takes time to come to that determination, especially in the queer community. There is still a lot of stigma and taboo 
about the bisexual identity. Is it a solid identity? Is it an identity that you just is a transitionary identity where you're kind of in that phase sometimes until you decide which way to go? Um, so it took me some time to to figure out like, am I bi? Am I a lesbian? Like, what is going on with the same sex, sex attraction I that I have? Like, where do I put it? And so, yeah, figuring it out and then coming to terms with it and then living it, I think, has been sort of like the journey. And each each section of it, I think, has brought up many, many different things. And I, and, and yeah. If we phrase this conversation and looking and exploring those three pillars, mm-hmm. how did you figure it out? Right. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. How did you figure it out? And then how did you live with it? And then, or process it? Yeah, and how are you then living with it? Yeah. Um, I guess let's start with how did you figure it out? Or yeah. what was that process and journey like? Yeah. So I only realized that I was bi when I was 22. So like first year out of college, living in India. And it, it I, I always think it's so ironic and funny that you know, I went from like the most progressive place that I had lived in, which is like college, the United Georgetown, States. the U.S., yeah. D.C., surrounded by like queer groups on campus. And one of my best friends is gay. You know, I went from that to then graduating and living in India, like the probably the most conservative place that I lived in. Especially in this arena. Yes. Yeah. And, and that was where I kind of found that this identity of mine. And yeah, I, I, um, I just found myself drawn to this particular person at at work. And, you know, I think it was this really slow and, you know, honestly, like really beautiful um, discovery of, of attraction and, and of in my own mind, you know, I remember like de- developing a friendship with this person and, you know, having like really good banter and then just sort of feeling slowly like something more and wondering what that is. But also I think because I wasn't in Hong Kong, I was like somewhere else, even though I was in India, because I was somewhere outside of my community, I had more freedom in my mind to even entertain the thoughts that were arising within my mind, you know, which I think if I was not in it, if I was not, I mean, forget India, but if I was not somewhere where I was an unknown entity, it would have been harder, If even in, even in college, I think, because by the time... You get to college, you graduate, you, you're you a known entity amongst your friends. You have a community, you have something. But in Bombay, in India at that time, not having any community, being this completely unknown entity, it was really a blank slate for my own mind to allow any kind of thoughts to come up and, and for me to entertain them without judging myself for them. That's so beautiful and like so actually quite ironic that you say that you needed to be unknown to mm. find known. Yeah. Because... It's basically the whole process of forging identity is you need to perhaps be in a place where no one is projecting identity onto you. Yeah. Which is what you were. It's basically like in Georgetown or in Hong Kong, you have either developed or endorsed or basically lived by and accept an identity. And it's quite hard to break an identity once you've formed it. Totally. So for you, going back to Bombay, was that just a, okay, 
this is something I need to explore or was there denial? Like what was going through your mind? Yeah. I mean, I love what you just said, first of all, like that. Yes. In order for me, at least, you know, and I'm sure this is true for other people as well to, to figure out who I was. It was so much easier to do that when identity wasn't projected on me, you know, and it's not like anyone is doing that. Yeah, right? exactly. It's just that it's in the air. It's it's in the subconscious. It's in the collective in the yeah, in the collective unconsciousness of the community that you grew up with and you've absorbed, you know, all these ideas and images of the way that you should be. And once you're out of that space, then you know, all of like all those images and stuff are are like left behind. They're not right. so much in the forefront. But yeah, sorry, I lost track so of the question that you you're asked. So when you're in yeah. India, um, yeah, you're Bombay, and you're you're sort of confronted with this feeling, and oh, yeah. you're confronted with mm. what is this? Can I explore this? Like you're 22 years old. Yep. What are you thinking? Yeah. So what I remember happening is meeting this girl and. Like one interaction at a time, like feeling some sort of spark, feeling some sort of delight and just feeling drawn to like exploring that sense of feeling so delighted with this person, with these interactions. And I think one day we sort of had like a a very playful conversation where she was, I don't know what she was saying, but I think I playfully said something like, uh, you know, don't go falling in love with me or something like that. And I, I don't even know where it came from, but I think we're just very slowly tiptoeing our way towards each other, making one step closer through an, a gesture or like a comment and testing, you know, how is the other person going to take this? And if the other person responds in kind, yeah. you move one step closer. And so I think that's what was happening in a very slow way over over a period of probably like seven eight months, I think. So it wasn't like a quick thing, you know? And I think one day, like out of nowhere, I'd had a couple of drinks. Yeah. Always um, helps. Yep. And I didn't even know or or plan that this was going to come out of my mouth, but I, I, I just found myself saying like, I'm find myself really drawn to you. And I couldn't believe I said that. And I think she couldn't believe that I had said that. And there was just this heavy silence, this really crazy, heavy, exciting, like palpable silence that if either of us moved one muscle, like the moment was gone. So it was just stillness. And then I think I said something like, can I kiss you? And she just very gently like nodded her head. Until that point, I, I honestly like the question of identity of of bisexuality, of like any labels, like it didn't come up. It was just like, this feels good. I'm just going to do this, you know? And I think the, I remember the only thing that came up in my mind once was the question of, oh, like, I think I have feelings for this person. And what do I think about that? And I was like, I think I'm okay with that. And that was what, that was the main thing that was in my mind. And, and it was one moment and after that, it was just full, you know, full throttle. Like For you, like the battle was, or not really even the battle, the dance or the flirtation around it was mm. testing the limits with you and someone else. But were you testing the limits within your own self? Like, did you have yeah. that mental struggle? And were you comprehending like, oh, what does this mean? And what are the implications for yeah. myself and my identity? At that moment, no. Because again, I was in this space of, just really enjoying what it was. But that came later. You know? So tell me about that. Like, when did that come? Yeah, that came later when I moved back to Hong Kong, essentially. So once I come back to Hong Kong. So you explored identity. Yeah. You realized, oh, this is it. 
and now you need to repaint. Yeah. When I came back to Hong Kong, that's when I had to decide, like, okay, you know, what is what do I do with this relationship? And in fact, in my in my mind at that point, it wasn't even a question that this could continue. I really thought at that point that, you know what, like, I just have to take this to my grave. That it's just impossible for me to be with a woman long term. Impossible. Why? So I, I, it was just a block in my mind at that time, you know? Like you didn't even know why it was impossible, but it was impossible. It was just so, it was like such an obvious thing that it didn't even need to be um, interrogated. Wow. Like the impossibility of it didn't even need to be interrogated because it was so yeah, obvious like, that it was impossible. Can you fly? No. Can I be with a woman? No. Right? Yeah, it was exactly. Like that, it was that. It was that. And so it was like, you know, I, I really was like, I, I need to break this off and continue on with my life. And and because I do identify as bisexual, I was like, okay, like, you know, now continue on the path that I had always imagined for myself, which was to um, get married to a man and have kids and live happily ever after, like Hollywood and Bollywood and all these things, yeah. <laughs> you know. And what happened so, to that template? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> throw it out the window. Nothing <laughs> happened with it, you know. Um, but yeah, so I came back to Hong Kong. I think at that point though, I did want to figure out like what, you know, am I bi or am I a lesbian so that I could figure out, okay, do I really, do I, should I still continue with this template or, you know, like, is this a viable template because yeah. I can ignore 50% and go for the 50% that I am attracted to. Right. Right. I was trying to figure that out. So, so I ended up watching, starting to watch the L word and a TV show, a TV show, which is all about lesbians in, in Los Angeles. And um, at that point in time, it was like, you know, illegal downloads and streaming and I couldn't get like more than two seasons. And and so I had to like stop after two seasons. But I was trying to watch that in like in an effort to figure out how do I identify? Yeah. And that is when I started to think about identity and the question yeah. of how I identify not whilst I was in the relationship at all, you know. I guess like during times where you can depend on someone else or you have like you're going with a flow or an attraction. Yeah. You don't really have to confront these sort of things. It's like even outside of sexual identity, yeah. like even with jobs and career, if you mm -hmm. have a job and you're going through the day to day of it, that's just who you are. Yeah. But it's if you lose that job, then all of a sudden you have to confront the question of what's my career? What do I like to do? Exactly. It's just basically in the absence of an identity or when you have to make a decision, a decision. about who you are exactly that's when you have to confront exactly. it. exactly when you have to make a decision about how to move your life forward that's when questions of identity arise i think whether it's like job like what do i want to do with my life like what kind of partner do i want you know what's important to me and at those times it's only natural to fall to templates because you're like oh i could be a doctor i could be a I don't know, like a lawyer. It's, what are the templates? I don't even know. <laughs> That's um, great that you're so far removed from them. <laughs> I don't think so. But I, I do think that it's you You tend to look at templates. So in, in this instance, yeah. you were looking from like a sexual identity purpose. You're yeah. like, okay, the template is I should find a male partner. Yeah. Get, get married, married, have kids, have so kids. and so forth. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. So I, I, you know, I tried to do that for a while. I mean, so I was, I was trying to figure that out. And I think I, I don't know whether I, at that point, like had a firm decision, but I think after the two seasons that I could download were over, I like my decision, my, my identity questioning also went on pause because mm. I didn't feel like I had other resources at the time to, to help me move forward. And I wasn't brave enough to reach out to, ask anyone anything because I didn't know any 
I literally did not know any like queer Indians, Sindhis, or even non-Sindhis and non-Indians in Hong Kong. And I was right. too scared to go looking. So I just sort of put that on pause. And then I got to another decision point in my life of career. And I ended up, you know, quitting the job that I was doing. And I, I decided at that point that I, I needed to make a transition and study something that I had really enjoyed when I was in university, psychology, and ended up, you know, becoming a therapist, which is what I do now. Um, but even it's interesting because talking about templates, that decision was me getting out of templates. Because I think growing up in Hong Kong, I had had this kind of one-dimensional idea of success. Like right. success equals being a lawyer, an entrepreneur, you know, a banker. Very um, defined careers. Very defined and very gendered. And if you're a woman, then you've got marketing, HR, PR, advertising. And so even having gone to Georgetown in the U.S., yeah. I was still stuck with these seven, you know, career paths that, you know, that I thought I had to choose from. Right. And I did like two of them. And I was like, no, this is or yeah, this is not what I want to do. And right. I was like, now what do I do? And so I think I was always waiting for someone to give me permission to become a therapist, for someone to sort of be like, you're, good you're a great listener. Yeah. You should be a therapist, you yeah. know? And I think at some point I realized that no one is going to, no one's going to give me that permission. I just have to give myself that permission to, to do that, you know, and feel like that that is something I can do and pursue that. And coming back to the sexual identity part of it, I ended up moving to San Francisco. And I don't think I did that consciously. I think subconsciously, um, something was driving me to still figure out this sexual identity piece of my life. And I ended up in sort of the gay mecca of the world to do that, to study, yeah. to become a therapist and figure that stuff yeah. out. Forge identity. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so sometimes I think forging identity, it's not a conscious thing that we do also. Yeah, like for sure. we have these subconscious drivers that are pushing us in a certain direction. Um, it's so interesting though, because like part of the reason why you're sort of search for sexual identity went on pause is like seasons ran out of the L word. And yeah, that's, that's a, it's like funny to joke about, but it is like such a real thing that we look for They're circulated templates that are in pop culture, in media, but they're also like, we still need role models or yeah. it's still like the search of who can we look at or who can we emulate parts of. And totally. It, it like really does depend on like people who aren't living a certain template to speak out and like do exactly what you're doing. Yeah. You know, role models, like finding people that are doing things that, you know, um, that we want to do is so important. And, you know, I think that's sort of like what I found eventually in San Francisco, you know, and, and I, and I remember being there and, for the first time, like, because even whilst I was in Hong Kong, I was in Hong Kong from like 25 to 28. And in that time, I I still did actually did not meet, you know, any queer people. And there were lots of people in Hong Kong. I just didn't happen to meet them. I didn't go out of my way to try. When I got to San Francisco, I was finally meeting like the first other bisexual person. You know, I'd never met anyone who identified as bisexual. And I was like, oh, wow, other people also identify this way. Like, that's amazing that this is out there. And so as I met more people, it finally allowed me to sort of accept, you know, and explore my own identity. Um, and so, you know, I remember meeting like all these white girls who were lesbians and bi and feeling like, yes, like I found my people, like this is amazing. Then I met 
um, Asians, like Asian Americans, mainly Chinese, Koreans, Japanese, whatever, um, who identify again as queer. And that made me feel a little closer to my own identity. I remember meeting like people from Hong Kong in San Francisco and feeling like, wow, like, you know, this is a real thing. And, and somehow that made my own identity feel more real to me. Six months before I was leaving San Francisco to come back to Hong Kong, I found like, you know, queer daisies. And I didn't realize that I needed to find them in order to really feel that it was possible for me to be, um, to live and like find and, and marry a woman. Because until then, I think it was still something that that felt like it's, I'm getting closer to it, but it still didn't feel like it was entirely possible because I hadn't seen it done in my own community. And I remember going into this event and this there was this like Indian woman who was giving, who was introducing someone else and she was talking and she was like, and I could tell she had a Singaporean accent. And I was like, oh my God, like this is like a queer Indian girl from Singapore. This yeah, is like yeah. basically Hong Kong, yeah. you know, like. And she was talking and then she was like, something, 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 something. My, and my wife and my jaw just dropped open because she was pointing to like her, her female Indian partner who was also from Singapore. And I was just like, oh my God, like you guys are married? Like what? You are the yeah. first queer Indian woman that I've met who are married. Like I did not even know this was possible. And it's funny saying that now, even as I'm saying it now, I'm like, it feels, I feel so disconnected from it because now it feels so possible. But at that moment, it really was like jaw dropping to me. And, you know, it was one of those moments where like after the session, I like went and I said that to them. And then there was another couple and I was like, oh my God, there's two of you. Yeah, like, what? And, and after I met them, it finally felt like, this is possible for me. It's possible for me to actually be with a woman because now I see it in my own community and I didn't even know I needed to see it. But you it's know? so interesting. So underrated. Yeah, it is underrated. And also it's so interesting because maybe a lot of times we choose to see the templates that we want to see. Perhaps it's a filter. Like we believe that there is only one template. So we automatically only look at that or attract that. But when you are trying to explore different templates or people living yeah. different lived experiences, maybe that's when you start to notice the quote unquote outliers. Although maybe yeah. it's not. And and so finding that was just, it was everything to me. It, it really was the thing that solidified my feeling that, you know, it was all possible. And, and I think it was that it was meeting those people that helped me then, you know, come out again. And I say again, because I, I came out once already to my parents before that happened, but I wasn't feeling strong enough in my identity that, you know, I, I was also just not sure about it. So then I, I was able, then I came out again to my parents. This is now in 2017, so about five years ago. Um, basically saying like, look, like I've now I've done a lot of thinking and exploring and this is a real thing. You know, it's 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 not going away. And so then started the journey of coming back to Hong Kong and living. Yeah, let's get into that. Identity. So you, like struggled with the idea, defined it. Yeah. And now you have to live with it. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think I I think I came back to Hong Kong because it was really easy to be out and proud and queer in a place like San Francisco. So accepted, so you know, there's no challenge there. But I, I think I knew that for me, in order for me to actually 
solidify my identity, I needed to like do it in Hong Kong. Right. Like you couldn't prioritize one facet of your identity and mute the other, which is the fact that you're from Hong Kong. Hong Kong is home. Yeah, exactly. And so, so yeah. So coming back here, that's, you know, that's, yeah, I don't even know where to start with like what it has meant to sort of live this identity. But I think it's been a mixture of like bringing my parents alongside on this journey. And I think, I think part of being able to live this identity has been, dependent in some ways on their acceptance and support and encouragement of me. Naturally, like no parent, I won't say no parent, but it is very, it's something that can be really difficult for parents to to process. And my parents had their, their time processing it, but they've gotten to a point where they are, gosh, like just amazing with it. And they've like completely accepted me and my partner. And I think without that, it would have been really difficult for me to sort of live into this identity. This is where it's been like a bit more of a struggle than I anticipated actually, sort of living this identity. Because, you know, I, I thought the difficult part was gonna be coming out in Hong Kong to my parents, my parents' friends, my friends, like being out and about in the community. I thought that was gonna be the challenge and that would be the pinnacle. You know, that would be the be all and end all and the end of the journey. Like I'm done, all good, you know, like sexual identity check, you know? Um, But it's been interesting that that hasn't been the end of the journey because even whilst being in a relationship, I've still realized that I still have so many images and ideas about love, about marriage, about family that I've needed to like work with and sort of undo in order to still live into this identity. And what what are some examples of that? So, you know, I'm in this really wonderful relationship right now. And when I think about how to move this relationship forwards, I feel like I I have felt like I felt a block at some point Mm. because my image of moving forward in a relationship is still the heterosexual image of like man and woman walking around a fire, you know, like the Hindu wedding ceremony, right? Yeah. And I, for the life of me, cannot see me and my partner like in that setup, in that mundup, yeah. you know, walking around the fire. As as progressive as I am, and and as much as I love our, you know, our, our customs and culture and all of that, like, and I would probably work to try and even, you know, work with the priests of the marriage to change the ceremony to yeah. create something for myself. Like I can do all of that, but that image was just so fixed of like man, woman, like the heteronormativity. And so I really had to sort of grapple with that and and find ways to sort of overcome that. And, and honestly, the only way that I did overcome that was through just asking for guidance and clarity, you know, like through my spirituality and practice and kind of putting out there that, you know what, I don't know how to move this forward. I, I want to be able to move this forward, but I have this image I don't know how to get past this image. I really wouldn't have known how to do that. I think for me, like whenever I've had a block in terms of this journey, I've I've tried to look for people that have been one step ahead of me in this journey and figured and asked them and had conversations with them on how they got to that next step. You know, I think I wasn't able to like have those conversations at that moment or reach the right people. And so I think I turned to spirituality. And as I was sort of, kind of contemplating and kind of being in that space of meditating and reflecting on it, 
I was able to find another image. And it really just sort of came to me that this other image that I could create for myself of what moving forward could look like for me and my partner and that it didn't have to be this ceremony. this ceremony that I was thinking, but it could be something else and I could call it something else. And it's so funny how names and labels can shift things for you. Because I think I was thinking of like this Hindu wedding ceremony, but when I switched that the name in my mind to a commitment ceremony. Yeah, it just means something else. It just else. meant something else. And it, it just totally opened up something like a completely new world for me. You know, not even a completely new path, but a completely new world of, of possibility and just remove this entire block that I had had like that, that, you know, that my mind was like stuck to with this image. Yeah, it's like... Going beyond just the aesthetics of it, which yeah. is like a man and a woman walking around a fire. Yeah. Just uncovering that actually what does that fire really mean? And yeah. what does that symbolize? And the entire genesis of that is, like you said, commitment. commitment. And it's just so funny that so much of our dreams and like our hopes and ideals are really packaged as narratives that we tell yeah. ourselves. And I often think like, are our dreams even our own? Like mm. are, how much of our dreams are really ours yeah and I agree like I think we've been dreamt for in so many different ways and we've just picked that up and part of growing up is undoing the dreaming that other people have done for you and like you know making way for your own dreams to come forth and like finding your own voice so that you can figure out you know who you are and what's important to you and what dreams are important to you to pursue what experiences are important to you to have in life how do you do that? Like, how do you even begin to listen to that voice, cultivate that voice, hone yeah. into it? I think it comes from unhappiness. Mm. You know, I think it starts there. I think it starts with like feeling unhappy about something and having no choice but to begin a search for like something that will make you happy. And that search then involves questioning and listening to the answers that arise, even if you're scared of them, recognizing when fear is blocking you from hearing your own voice and hearing your own answers, and then being able to deal with that fear or like have faith instead of fear or courage. And then even daring to sort of, you know, want what we want can be something really like big and like a big brave thing to do is to believe that you can get what you want. Yeah, daring what you want to want. Yeah, daring to, daring to want, want what you want. I love yeah. that. I've heard your story before, and I've like, I've, we've had conversations yeah. about this beyond just, just this conversation yeah. today. And one thing that always I think about is how you juggled between both internal sort of battles mm. versus external. And like what the play was with that, you know, like mm. how much of it is – you had a picture of the life that you thought you wanted to live mm -hmm. or should live yeah. and that picture disappearing versus how much you were scared that other people were not going to accept you. Mm. And what was that balance like? Yeah. yeah. Or is that balance like still? Yeah. I think for me, fortunately, I think I never had the internal struggle of not accepting my identity and not accepting myself. It just felt like a fact for me. Like this, this is, is it. This is yeah. it. But the struggle with the external stuff was just knowing that who I identify as 
has some sort of basically like my mom's got some feels about that, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so does my dad. Yeah. And like that was the conflict. Like what do I do about their feelings about this, you know? Yeah. And I think that's been the most difficult part because I, you know, naturally want to live my life in a way that doesn't hurt them if possible. And for the longest time, I think I was like waiting for their approval to explore more and and sort of live my life. I wouldn't say for the longest time, but I think there was a turning point for me when I sort of decided like it was a mindset shift from like waiting for their approval to deciding that it was okay if I didn't have it. And um, that was hard because very in hard. order to shift my mindset to that, I also had to take a, a little step back from them a little bit. So there was a very brief period of time, but I think a painful period of time for all of us, where I, I wasn't talking to them as much because I felt I'm working on this thing of trying to accept this part of me. Well, not trying to accept, but, you know, just living this part of me. And and I know that this is not cool with you guys. So I can't, I can't wait for you any longer to be cool with it for me to, to, to be okay with it and live it. And so that I think was a bit of a painful period for us until I sort of came out to them again and said, look, this is like, this is what's been happening. This is why I've been distant from you because this bisexual identity is still something that is real for me. And I know you guys struggle, have struggled with it. I was ready to be out with my friends and all of that, but I really didn't want to do it in a way that, you know, they were going to feel uncomfortable right. with. So I think I had to kind of balance sort of like waiting for them to come along a little bit and be okay with it in order to fully come out. And, you know, they did some amazing work to themselves to to get where they are today, you know. And, you know, I think they're at that point now where they'd be happy to talk to other parents who are struggling with this journey and figure out what to do there's actually yeah like there's this um rainbow families group in bombay like a facebook group in bombay that i connected my parents with and they actually spoke to this um other mother in bombay like a random person i think i think it was so brave of them to do that yeah to share their you know their struggle and listen to like how that mother overcame her struggles with her own daughter yeah and you know, since then, and I think since they've met my partner, they've just been like just happy for me to be who I am. I think partnership is so hard to begin with, mm. but layering partnership with acceptance on top of that, like having yeah. to battle two battles, I think is one that is probably incredibly difficult. I mean, just even for myself, battling the partnership realm yeah. is already hard enough already like being in a relationship it's is hard. like hard yeah. and, like hard work yeah and then you're in a relationship and you really want that relationship to be accepted by your parents you know whether they're a man or a woman yeah you know, when you're with a same-sex partner naturally that acceptance is going to come a little harder and then on top of that like having all these templates of what it's like to be in a relationship and what it's like to have a family and move forward and then having to get over those templates yeah it's all these layers to to work through, which I'm still doing. Yeah, that's what you know, I was going to say. Still a work like, in progress. What is, what's the next? The next what's template that the I'm next, struggling yeah, with. Yeah, like what? What's the next thing that you're leaning into? And, yeah, you know. the the next template that I have been leaning into and trying to dismantle is. So first, it was 
marriage and then it was like what a family looks like right you know it's always been like in my head like man and children and now it's like woman and children and so okay like I've been able to project forward and see that and like feel okay with that but now it's like okay like how do I have the children what's the process of that and um that's the new template that I'm currently in the process of dismantling because I always thought how I would have a child would be have this amazing romantic night of sex or amazing <laughs> yeah. morning sex. Yeah. And, you know, three weeks later, like Bam. peeing on a stick <laughs> yeah. and being like, I'm pregnant. Yeah. And yeah. like celebration and yeah. fireworks and yeah. brunch and yeah. friends and messages and, you know, everyone's happy. Well, actually, then you wait three months, then you tell everyone, right? Yeah. Whatever it is. Um, but parents are so excited and all yeah. of that. So that has been my template or my idea of what it's going to be like to have like the process of getting pregnant. And I know that even whether or not you're in a same-sex relationship, I know that even for heterosexual women, that that is not necessarily the case. 100%. And so I know this is not like a, a same-sex issue, but, you know, it has still been something that I like not just me, but I'm sure a lot of women have had to go through dismantling that template. Like it's not going to be through sex that I get pregnant. You know, it's going to be through... IVF. And and I think like there's all of that. So that is something that I think I've, I've had to grapple with. The next bit where I'm at now is sperm donors. Because I never thought that I would be having a child that didn't have like a genetic of your, component yeah. of my partner. So that is another thing that I've had to really wrap yeah. my head around, you know, and get comfortable with. And then even then, who's a sperm? Like, what do I do? I get an anonymous yeah. sperm donor, a known sperm donor. So that's that's the next thing that I'm sort of leaning into. Well, I'm, I think it's just so amazing that you are leaning into these templates, like that you are mm -hmm. choosing to have these battles as opposed to just abstaining. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like the Theodore Roosevelt quote, like the man in the arena. You are the man <laughs> in the arena, um, woman in the arena. <laughs> Sexist Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess to broaden this out mm. to people who are battling with forging their own identity or yeah. dismantling templates that they think were forged for them. Yeah. What's the danger of not leaning in? As someone who does lean in. Yeah, I guess the danger of not leaning in is that, you know, you carry on with life and you, you go with the flow and you go with these templates that are, you know, that have been there for you. And if it works out, great, you know, wonderful. If it doesn't work out, then at that point, there's going to be like reflection and and needing to come to terms with. I guess I'm a believer in that like, Whatever each person's journey is, is their journey. Right. And that's okay. You yeah. know, like for some people, they'll need to um, dismantle the templates. And like, that's just kind of the thing that they need to do. For other people, the templates work beautifully for them, you know. And, yeah, that's and, why they are templates. And yeah, I mean, yeah. They're, they're templates for a reason. And that's great for them. So I don't think it's the th thing that everyone needs to do. But I guess it's good for for people to be aware that like there are for us all to be aware that life is full of these images and narratives that, that have been created for us. You know, we've sort of just absorbed them from our social upbringing, conditioning, and that if there is dissatisfaction in life, 
like if there is a place that you're unhappy, then this could be a place to turn to and look at mm. to see like, okay, is this because I'm living out a template that, you know, wasn't really meant for me or that isn't for me now? You know, I think the thing about identity is that it's also and forging identity is that it's also it can also be fluid. You know, what worked for you once and the template that you used once may have served you really well up until a certain point, but then you may need to be served by something else, you know, and it's okay to for that to change. I think we talk about forging identity, but also I want to make space for the idea that you can forge an identity and then also we can shift and change. I love that. You know, and that I think I read this quote that I really like. It was something like, we should all never underestimate our own ability to change the trajectory of our lives at any point in time. You know, it's never too late to do that. That is such a beautiful point because it's so true. And it brings it back to like the reason why you felt that you couldn't explore your sexual identity in Hong Kong mm. or in Georgetown is because at that point you probably created an identity or endorsed an identity yeah. and didn't have the space or the confidence to have space to let it be fluid. Exactly. And really just coming to terms with who you are will change. Yeah. And that really is a journey that we need to lead into and, and sort of allow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the entire kind of premise and sandwich of all of these questions is this concept of equanimity. Mm. It's like a Buddhist philosophy in that mm. inevitably life will be turbulent, um, mm. both in a good and bad way. You will experience really big highs. You will experience really low lows. Mm. These are unavoidable things. But being able to process it in a space of equanimity. As you reflect upon this journey, what has what are some things that have helped you gain a sense of equanimity? I think for me, like the fact that I never questioned or doubted or had a problem with being attracted to, you know, people of the same sex. I think that was always something that was just very like calming for me because I knew that it was just not a problem for me. You know, I don't know how to explain it, but I think what was grounding was just the knowledge that my sexual identity was just a fact. It was never something that I, I struggled with. And then after that, you know, going through all these other struggles, I think for me, it was always just coming back to like my own faith and spiritual practice that was probably grounding. I can always come back to this space within me. Hmm. Um, where and how did you discover that? Like, how did you discover that spirituality had this role or this effect in your life? Yeah, I think I was lucky that it, it it's sort of like I was sort of born into it and that like even from a young age, my parents put me in like, you know, this classes in Hong Kong, the Balvihar yeah, and all yeah. of that. And so it was just something that I always took to naturally. And I just developed this interest in um, the human mind, you know, because I guess like the Vedantic philosophy is all about this idea that the quality and the texture of your mind determines your experience in the world. That for me was like, wow, like if I can manage my mind, if I can manage my emotions, then I can manage my experience in the world. Now, did I think that every step of my journey? No, but like that's something that I can come back to eventually, to this idea that happiness is of my own making. That's the one thing that I've been able to come back to and like not that I can always put this in practice but 
is this idea that happiness is the way. I don't have to do something to be happy like that. I actually, I can be in charge of that just through like the way that I'm narrating my own story to myself or the way that I'm narrating this incident to myself. I realize at some point, like I'm fueling my own emotions of anger or irritation or whatever it is. And I have the ability to, to stop feeling that and to, to kind of shift the direction of my thoughts. And so I think just having that basis has helped me in this in this journey kind of maintain a bit of a sense of equanimity and also like definitely community and support just having even one person to talk to that accepts you and loves you for who you are is a huge buffer i think to anything else in the journey so that i think has been invaluable i just think it's like so brave of you to have this conversation to share um and speak so openly and i guess what sort of inspired you or pushed you or gave you the courage if you even needed courage to do this but <laughs> I, for me it's highly courageous um yeah. like what's brought you here yeah i think that when i was growing up and going through all of this i just craved someone who was out there who had gone through something you know, who who was like queer and out, so I, who I could turn to and ask all these questions to. For me, it's like, if I can provide that to someone that, that what I didn't have, then that's what sort of inspires me to, to just put my story out there. Because um, I think that the more that people can share, the more that people who are struggling with these same issues and thoughts can can feel like there's someone out there that they can turn to or the more templates we can create exactly the yeah. more it's just to add to those templates that are out there for sure yeah so what's next for you what's next gosh in terms of life identity life identity forging identity <laughs> well the cool thing about identity if someone were to ask me like who are you there was a time you know where like one of the first things i would say is that i'm something like it would be like my sexual identity. But now if you ask me who I am, like sexual identity doesn't even feature. Right. It's like a footnote in my life. So I see myself as like, you know, a spiritual seeker, a therapist and a daughter and a friend and a partner. Like those things come to me first. And then at some point it's like, oh, right. Like, yes, there's all this also like I happen to be, you know, attracted to people of the same sex. Um, so in terms of this, I think there's nothing really next apart from just continuing to lean, in lean to, into these templates. Like whatever template, come, whatever, you know, image comes up next that I'm struggling with, I'm going to have to lean into and sort of figure out. So for me, I think this is an, actually an important point that once you've gotten to this place in your journey where like I have that acceptance of my parents, I have the important things in place, it actually frees me up to focus on other things in life that are so important to me. And whilst I was going through this struggle and journey, it was everything to me. It, it's blocked me from pursuing like career goals from other things, you know, because I was so focused on this very, you know, singular aspect of my identity when we are so much more multidimensional. Complex. Yeah. So what's next is really being able to focus on those other aspects of life that I had ignored all this time because I was so focused on this. I think that it's just honestly just so amazing to be having this conversation with you, just being able to record it and <laughs> um, being able to sort of share your like 
ability to be so candid. I think that mm. the part that prevents people from kind of living the mm. life that they want to live or daring to dream, like you say, mm. is I think it's just the more of us that can just speak and share yeah. and chat about the real stuff of life, the better. The real stuff of life. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you so much for the opportunity to have this conversation. You know, it's always a great opportunity for me to reflect on the journey as well. And every time I do, it's something, you know, I, I figure out something new about it as well. Through this conversation, I've come to realize that maybe it's not about doing away with the templates we've created, but just expanding the options. There's a real place for having a model to look up to, someone or something that inspires you to dare to want what you want, as Bhavna puts it. The goal, though, dismantling the idea that there is a right or wrong way of living, leaning into who we are, no matter the narrative it's confronting. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, follow us on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on and follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at four underscore equanimity for as in F-O-R, not the number. We'll be sharing a lot of tidbits behind the scenes and more about our upcoming conversations. But for now, that's a wrap. Catch you next time.